This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Um, okay, so now we're moving along, and I, I don't know if you guys have been following this story. It's not getting a lot of press. It's not getting a lot of pre- uh, uh, coverage. But according to a U.S. Army captain, the U.S. war against ISIS is illegal. So last week, a 20, uh, 28-year-old Nathan Smith, who is, besides being a U.S. Army captain, he's also an intelligence officer currently stationed in Kuwait. Um, Ku- Kuwait. He filed a um, a lawsuit against President Obama over the legality of the war against the Islamic State. So apparently Obama just can't get anything right. So critics say he's not doing enough to stop ISIS. He won't use the word terrorism enough and he won't combat the war on terror. Now you have Smith who is saying Obama's actually doing too much, too much. He is overstepping his executive authority to save us from ISIS. Obama can't win. So the lawsuit challenges. Challenges the president's claim that he needs no new legal authority from Congress to order the military to wage this war against ISIS. The plaintiffs also argue that Obama violated the War Powers Resolution by continuing the conflict with congressional support without the law's time frame. So under the War Powers Resolution of 1973, the president is required to notify Congress within 28 hours of committing armed forces to military action. The War Powers Resolution also forbids armed forces from remaining for more than 60 days with a further 30-day withdrawal period without an authorization of the use of military force or a declaration of war. So in this lawsuit, the army captain says the war is illegal because, and I quote, the president did not get Congress's approval for his war against ISIS in Iraq and Syria within the 60 days, but he also did not terminate the war. So that's the premise of the argument in this lawsuit. They also filed an affidavit along with the lawsuit where the soldier says, he supported military action against ISIS, but the potential illeg- um, illegality of the conflict is weighing on his conscience. And he says, and I quote, how could I honor my oath when I'm fighting a war, even a good war that the Constitution does not allow or Congress has not approved? So this is what he's saying. Obama, on the other hand, argues that he already had the authority he needs to wage the conflict against ISIS under the authorization to fight perpetrators of the terrorist attacks of 9-11, which was enacted by Congress back in 2011, shortly after the attacks. So critics say, no, 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 Obama, you're wrong again, again, and you're stretching the 9-11 authorization too far by applying it to an organization that did not exist in 2001 and that operates far from Afghanistan. So basically what they're saying is when this law was uh, when this authorization was passed, it was so that the U.S. could attack al-Qaeda for knocking down our towers. But Obama's like, well, if you think about it, ISIS is a fraction of al-Qaeda. Those are the same people who were affiliated with um, al-Qaeda. But then because of an internal conflict, they decided to start their own organization. And that's why they're ISIS. And uh, technically, it really wouldn't make sense for us to say we can only fight al-Qaeda if you have this name when there are a number of other terrorist groups, you know, being formed and, and who are who were originally rooted in al-Qaeda. So I don't know. I just think that the argument is I think their argument is, is pretty stretched. Um, so, you know, so moving along. And also, I just want to add, too, so al-Qaeda actually splintered after the death of Osama bin Laden. However, that does not mean that the U.S. now, again, lacks authority to keep fighting 
a successor faction to the end. It just doesn't make sense, right? So that's pretty much the gist of this argument. It's the it's the U.S. Army captain saying, Obama, this is illegal, and then Obama saying, no, it's not. It's, it has a lot to do with constitutional law. Obviously, we have Alyssa Fuchs here, our uh, legal expert, uh, who can really help us delve into this because, I don't know, to me it just looks very surface. The quest, first question I want to, you know, just throw out there, and I'll throw that to you, Alyssa. Um, it, does the, do the plaintiffs have a legitimate legitimate argument here against the president. You know, I think it's, it is interesting. I think they may have a, a legitimate argument against the president, just to give you some basis in constitutional law. The Constitution itself essentially says that Congress has to declare war. They have to do a declaration of war. The last time that we've actually had a declaration of war was in 1941, following the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Uh, Congress actually declared war. Since then, Congress has never actually declared war. We have had multiple other military actions. Uh, you know, we had Vietnam, there was North Korea, there was, um, sorry, there was just the Korean War, which is not just North Korea, but there was Vietnam, there was Korea, there was the first Gulf War, there was the action that we took in Kosovo, there has been actions that were taken in Libya, uh, there has been the uh, the second Iraq War, uh, there's been action taken in, in Afghanistan, and, and now, of course, action being taken with ISIS. And, and some, from some people's perspectives, none of those None of those things have been legitimate wars because Congress has never declared war in any of those situations. However, we in at least some of those situations, Congress has passed what's called authorizations for use of military force. Now, those are not exactly the same as a declaration of war, formal declaration of war under the Constitution. But at least under the War Powers Act, as you've pointed out, um, Congress has given the president some authority to wage war through these authorizations to use military force. Uh, the one you already mentioned in 2001 is how we went to fight, uh, you know, the Taliban and also how we went to fight al-Qaeda following 9-11. Um, obviously, that that is something that that legal scholars disagree about uh, as to whether or not those authorizations for use of military force satisfy Congress's obligation uh, or whether or not Congress should actually be declaring a, a war a, 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 with a declaration of war. But as for specific issue of whether or not this soldier has the grounds to challenge the president's action, uh, did you want to get to that? No, uh, continue. Um, which is this issue of standing. I know I've mentioned this many times on the show before, but in order to bring a lawsuit against somebody, you actually have to have what's called, legally speaking, standing to, to sue. And what standing to sue is you have to be able to say that you are being injured in some way such that you are the type of person that can bring a lawsuit against somebody else. So, for example, Selena, you may not be injured in any way by the fact that the president has decided we're going to go fight ISIS without an authorization to use military force. But a soldier who has sworn an oath of office to the country and who has sworn to uphold the Constitution, he is saying, and essentially this is the basis of the lawsuit, which I already know that you spoke about in, in partial partially, that because he has a constitutional obligation, because he uphold, uh, he swore an oath to the Constitution that he is being injured by having to go fight a war that he wants to fight 
without the proper authorization because the president is violating the separation of powers because he is making a decision unilaterally to go fight ISIS. And uh, in doing so, he is actually violating the constitutional rights of this soldier who is only supposed to be fighting wars that are properly authorized through the proper channels, one of those being an authorization from Congress. No, so I I thank you for um, um, answering the question, like, can soldiers sue the federal government? Um, In this case, they can. It seems like it. So that's two different questions. I was first explaining what his grounds for the lawsuit are, whether or not a court actually finds those to be legitimate grounds that still remains to be seen. That's one of the things that's going to be litigated as part of this lawsuit is a court is first going to have to decide this threshold issue of does he have the standing? Does he have the right to sue as a, a soldier? If they decide he does, then the lawsuit will proceed and eventually maybe the substantive questions of the lawsuit will be answered. If the court decides that he does not have standing to pursue this lawsuit, then the lawsuit will be thrown out on those grounds. I understand we actually have a caller on the line. We have Will who would like to let his voice be heard. Hi, Will. Hey, hey gang. What's going down? What's up? Oh, heaven. Look, um, Melissa, that, that's, that's the legal uh, spokesperson? Yes, he's our legal oh. rep. Right. Melissa, that was beautiful. That Will, was beautiful. before you continue, please turn your radio down. On oh, my radio? Yes. It's off. It's down. Okay, good. All right. Can you... Yep. It's, yeah. Okay. Um, but that was a beautiful layout right there because I hope the people listen because this gives a little more backdrop to the legalities of it. I was just going to touch on this is not about Obama. This has been about the United States policy since Bush. But you went to, to the real – see, you went to the policy of the USA. And what happens is we got to be careful of our own schizophrenia because on one side there's many of us that saying, well, look, we don't want no more body bags. We want these wars to end. We want them to really nip it at the butt where it's at over there where, you know, these, these, these policies and these, 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 these commitments are being breached. And, and sometimes we get uh, blurred by the fact that we have a, a president of color and we start forgetting that, hold up, the, the gentleman who's speaking up, the military gentleman that's speaking up, he's speaking up have, as a leverage for us to say, look, stop the man, stop the wars, because he's not, the, if, um, just the other day, a federal agent went berserk over there in, in Washington and killed up his wife, killed up, uh, went on a, a killing spree. Uh, he's a federal agent, because he, you know. He lost his job last month. Then there's another one down in um, in Texas. These 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 um these uh, military base killings and shooting. We have to really look at it. There's a lot of people that's really disgruntled about the policy, but they're not in position to speak up. This individual is just well as snowing. These people are taking a real risk, you know, and speaking up. So I, you know, I thank you, Melissa, for giving giving us that legal um, breakdown. Because you went back. We got to look at the United States policy, and we're getting into a lot of uh, madness. Some of these people really have to leave out of positions of power. Because they they just killing they just, you know it's just going to kill us, Thank you so much for that, Will. And again, guys, if you do have a question or comment on the legality of war, uh, specifically ISIS, and then later on we'll be talking about uh, the war in Vietnam. Um, you can call us up at two one two six five zero six nine zero three. So you know, uh, based on what we've discussed, um, the the summary I gave, the now the legal analysis that Alyssa gave, um, you know, I, I want to get your voice in there, Stanley. Do you feel like the war against ISIS? is legal or illegal um 
I don't know about to call it a war. Have we declared like you, you can you declare war on a group? Or do you declare war like on another like country? No, I mean, listen. In two thousand and one, the we declared war on terrorism on this abstract concept. And as Selena already mentioned at the beginning of the segment, that's the what is the president is using as his authority to fight ISIS. He is well, saying that under the two thousand and one declaration that we are fighting terrorism, ISIS is terrorism. Therefore, we can fight ISIS. So if the Supreme Court or whoever acknowledges terrorism as a, a viable thing to go to war against, and sure. But from what I understand, you have to wage war on another country. So if we're just going by the textbook definition, no, we are not at war, and this is illegal. And it's what? You said illegal or illegal? Illegal. Oh, wow. Well, you know, well, thanks so much for, for giving that. Um, I wanted to say that um, I think that the, the fight against... Um, uh, the fight against the Islamic State is also covered separately by the 2002 authorization President George W. Bush obtained from, com- from Congress from the evasion of Iraq. So people, I mean, there's strong arguments that this is very, very legal and that the president has not stepped out Wait, of bounds. but the Iraq war was based on a lie to begin with. And then also we we put like the Iraq, like that war is technically over. The president announced it was over and they were pushing troops out. So did they re- did re- re- re-engage in that war? So that's my next question. I mean, here's the thing. Uh, one thing that we should make clear is like, with at least with fighting ISIS, we don't have quote unquote boots on the ground mm-hmm. like uh, infantry troops. But the fact of the matter is even that's not true. Right. Yeah. There are tons of special operations groups that are supposed to be there advising. Yet mm-hmm. last week so. we had a, a service member that was killed in action. So obviously he was advising, but he, he was still killed and, and he is still going to come home in a body bag, unfortunately. Um, you know, on the other hand, we have the Air Force flying tons and tons of bombing missions. And while they're not quote unquote boots on the ground, there's still obviously the possibility that one of our planes can shot down and one of our service members can be killed. So in that respect, the consequences, whether you want to call it a war or something else are the same, which is American servicemen and women coming home in body bags and also money being spent out of the budget to fight this concept of terrorism or terrorists. Right. But the thing is, I, I feel like like the American people are almost like schizo- bipolar to in effect that, you know, on one hand, we're screaming, fight ISIS, protect us from Muslims, don't let them come in. And we need to, you know, when, when Donald Trump said he would bomb the S out of ISIS and go drop some bombs, like every, you know, all his supporters were like, yeah, 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 that's what we need to do. But on the other hand, it's like when we start to see the body bags, as our caller was speaking about, then it, it really touches us so it's like on one hand you cannot condemn or criticize the president for doing exactly what the american people apparently want to do i mean again especially on the right um but you know there's another question that this that this brings up and that's the war powers resolution um i talked about that um you know in during my intro and the argument that they're making is that the obama administration violates the constitution's take care clause since the war powers resolution requires the executive branch to release one um, to release um, one within the same 60 day window as authorization. So like, is that, you know, is that pretty much being violated? Right. Yeah, no, exactly. Is that the president's supposed to go back to Congress, uh, you know, when the authorization expires and to get it reauthorized. A lot of people don't realize right now is that Congress has never explicitly authorized this quote unquote war slash military action operation or whatever you want to call it, uh, the, you know, at all, period. 
You know, which is actually Congress neglecting their responsibility as well, you know, which is the president's going, well, there are these dangerous people and we want to go after them. And then you have Congress that they're sitting on their hands. They're not doing anything. And so the president's going, well, you know, we need to deal with this situation. And just like everything else that Congress isn't going to act on, I'm, you know, and I'm going to have to find a way to do on my own. Congress isn't acting on this. And that's another thing like, yeah, we're taking digs at the president and that's fine. We should. You know, we like the president. I voted for Obama twice, you know, and I respect the president a lot. And I think he's done a really good job on a lot of stuff domestically. Uh, you know, obviously, I do have some issues with with this issue with the president. However, I'm not going to hold it all to the president because right. the president has gone to Congress numerous times and it's congressional Republicans that are like, let's carpet bomb the Middle East until <laughs> it glows in the dark. I mean, that was Ted Cruz that said we should do that. Um, and yet Ted Cruz is a senator, somebody who has the ability to vote in favor of authorizing a military action, but they don't do that because you know what they like worse than not following the laws properly is the president. Republicans dislike the president so much that they want to fight ISIS. They say he's weak on ISIS, but they won't authorize him and give them the power that he needs to fight ISIS. So instead, he's got to do go it on their own. And then they turn around and they go, nani, nani, poo, poo, you're violating the Constitution, even though we're not going to vote. So it's like, you know, you shouldn't throw stones if you live in a glass house. No, no, that that's absolutely right. And I think their obstructionism is the reason why we're in this predicament. That's the reason why Obama took this step in the first place is because our Republican-controlled House of Representatives was too dysfunctional to vote on any war authorization within 60 days at the time. And, I mean, they've proven that over and over again. They get nothing done. Right. And on that note, I think we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about Bernie and Hillary and, and the differences in them as they run for president. We're also going to talk about the bigger picture about, uh, you know, illegal wars since Vietnam. All right. So Stanley, every time you try to sing the songs, you always say something, something. I know you'd like to thank y'all. Shh, don't stank. You guys are going to get me uh, a little bit closer. Uh, all right. FCC is going to find you. Ooh. Yes, they probably would. All right, guys, we're back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Um, before we went to break, we were talking about, again, the legality of Obama's war on ISIS, um, something that I, I, I think, you know, doesn't, it gets criticism on both sides. You know, on one hand, American people are weary of war, but on the other hand, they're also really scared because of people like Donald Trump who keeps, like, amplifying war and the fact that, like, ISIS could attack us at any time, which is just not, it's not that's just not a likely thing that would happen um, here. So, yeah, so we're, we're talking about that, and I wanted to, um, you know, scale it back a little bit because the, the conversation we're having here about the legality of the war against ISIS is something that we've been talking about for, you know, throughout Obama's presidency and it, throughout the last few decades. I mean, if we remember back in 2011, um, President Obama's air intervention in Libya lasted longer than 60 days without congressional authorization and that too prompted a lot of criticism inside and outside of their administration. So it's like, I mean, you know, the president, in my opinion, makes decisions for the betterment of our country. He makes very hard decisions. Sometimes he just has to act. And again, when it comes to Congress, he can't trust them. Well, They're obstructionists. They don't, it, it, it's it's hard to function with a, 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 a dysfunctional body you, of group, you, of a d- dysfunctional group. So, ba- no, I mean, I'll throw the question out 
there. But basically, like what I'm saying is that it leaves us in this predicament where it's like we're arguing on both sides. But you wouldn't feel that way if Trump were president and then Congress was being disaffected and obstructing. Well, no. And that's like, and Bush. This is what Bush was. That was his justification for doing a lot of things, because when we had a Democratic majority, he was still getting his way because he would find ways to go over them. Just because we like the president or we trust this president doesn't mean it's okay. But this is different because this is Congress saying that they want to fight ISIS, that they want the president to be stronger, but that they won't give him the authorization just simply because, you know, they don't like the president. They don't know because if the president says the sky is blue, they say the sky is green. That's different. What you're talking about is a situation where Republicans, like Republican President George W. Bush, wants to go to war, but Democrats are like, no, we don't want to get involved in a quagmire, so we're going to do everything in our power to stop you because we don't think we should be going to war. This is a different situation. This is a situation where Republicans are saying, we want to go to war, and the president is saying, we should fight ISIS, but Republicans are saying, nani nani poo poo, we're not going to give you the authorization, and then we're going to tell you that you're doing illegal things, even though we want to do it also, but we just don't want to give you the authorization those are two totally different things in my mind no do you agree do you want to respond well stop talking (laughs) yes the two two very different things my pushback was in relation to selena saying like defending the president as in like we trust him he's doing what he thinks is best for the country i don't think that's a, a a safe argument to make in relation to like unilateral moves because just because we trust this president doesn't mean every president will be trustworthy doesn't mean that the entire country trusts the president no i I get your point you're basically just saying that um we still need to adhere to the rule book but the thing is congress doesn't adhere to anything that they're supposed to do so it makes it really hard and honestly at this point i do have to trust the president because congress and the people that control congress are ludicrous and they say things that are barbaric all the time and i do not trust them look what happened in Libya, though, because that country has just gone into chaos, and we trust right. the it president was, there. Right, it, it happened in Iraq. I mean, that's when, not, that I'm, doesn't like negate what happened in Libya. Though. No, like, I'm not saying it negates it. I'm just giving another example of yeah. this. I mean, you gave one example. This is a second example. I mean, we went into Iraq. You know, we toppled a, dict- a brutal dictator in Saddam Hussein. But what happened when Saddam Hussein was toppled? There was a power vacuum left there. And part of that is the reason why we see the rise of ISIS today. So, I mean, like every action has an e- I hate to use this term, but every action has an equal and opposite reaction to it. You know, we see this going all the way back to Vietnam. Right. No. And, and I wanted to, you know, just to jump in there because, you know, at that time during the Re- Vietnam War, when this was also the time when the War Power Resolution was enacted back in 1973, um, a, a number of drafted soldiers sought injunctions against their deployment um, and what they also described as an illegal war. So, I mean, like this is something that has been replaying in our history um, for decades now. It, it kind of feels like, you know, history is just repeating itself. Um, you know, we brought up a number of examples of, of wars that have been happening um, and did you know if did you guys want to bring up any other examples? Yeah, no. I mean, I'll just to talk about Vietnam for a second. I mean, Vietnam was largely seen by a lot of people, maybe not at first. In the beginning, people felt like we had a legitimate reason to be there. That had a lot to do with this notion of, you know, the domino effect, right? That the and this this scare about communism that if uh, you know, China fell and then if all these other countries became communist, that there would be a domino effect and and more countries would become communist and obviously 
there was conflicts going on at that time between the Soviets when before Russia was Russia, when it was still the the USSR and it was under Soviet rule. And and obviously that was a big reason why we helped to arm the Northern Alliance in Afghanistan to fight the Soviets, which ended up becoming the Taliban. So all of that is like interconnected in which in one another. But just to talk specifically about Vietnam, when Vietnam first started, a lot of people saw it as a legitimate war, as something that we wanted to be doing to prevent, uh, you know, the domino effect, to prevent more countries from becoming communism. But as more and more time went on, more and more people started to feel that the war was illegitimate. And that's why you started to see people burning their draft cards, protesting in the street. After the four people were killed at Kent State, uh, which actually was just passed, it was May 4th, 1970, by the National Guard, the, the the tone about the war in Vietnam really shifted. And that tone and that pressure from people here in the United States is really what helped to end the Vietnam War and to convince the government that they no longer had the legitimate power to continue this war and to bring the troops home. Unfortunately, we don't see that kind of anti-war protest movement today when it comes to things like Iraq and Afghanistan and Libya and ISIS. And, And so maybe we need to call to action more people who are anti-war to step forward and to put themselves in the public eye and to say, we're not going to put up with this type of thing. And we're especially not going to put up with it if it's not properly authorized. And that should be both people on the left and the right. This army captain is conservative. Well, well, there is one person in the public spotlight who's definitely anti-war all the time, Bernie Sanders, who's been definitely using that as a talking point and pointing out to the fact that Hillary Clinton, when she was a senator for New York, voted for the uh, the the, uh, the war in Iraq. She voted uh, with Bush to go to Iraq. So, I mean, I think that, you know, we're asking people to speak up. I think Bernie Sanders has definitely done a good job in speaking up. And I think that there's a lot of contrast between them. Um, Stanley, um, when it... When it came to when it comes to you know Bernie versus Hillary um, and their their stances on war, do you um, align with one more than the other in particular? Um, I don't align with either, honestly. Really? And that's because I'm I'm still trying to make up my mind about like just these wars in general. Um, Hillary is a hawk, and I think she's heavy handed at times. But I think Bernie doesn't really have a war platform. Ex- and and if you want us to call it a war platform, it's Hillary is bad, and I didn't vote for Iraq, even though I voted for every super expensive war machine that we don't need. Right. Now, I see what you're saying. I, I mean, I would push back on that just a little bit because I think Bernie's I, I understand what you're saying about voting for war machines that we don't need. And, and we could get into a long discussion about pork barrel politics and why certain politicians vote to bring certain projects into their district so that people in their district can get jobs. That's separate and aside. But I see your point. But I think Bernie's position is really like we're not going to if we're attacked. We will respond, but we're not going to get involved in any more of these quagmires where I think that's Bernie's position. Now, you may still think that Bernie is too weak on foreign policy that he and you're shaking your head. So maybe you don't believe that. I I don't think he has a fully developed opinion of it because I don't think he knows enough about it, about what's going on, like outside of like this country. I think that's fair. But I think that my response would be that, like, I think his position just generally from an ideological perspective. And I think that's a big contrast between him and Hillary Clinton Mm -hmm. is. Is that whereas Hillary is more likely to get involved into these external conflicts right. in order to, you know, continue the same types of policies that we have seen with President Obama, um, Bernie Sanders is more likely to say, you know, let's spend money here at home. And I think that goes, you talked about Tupac earlier. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite Tupac lines is, we have money for war, but we can't feed the poor, right? Yeah. We have so many problems here at home in Flint, you know, mm-hmm. in right here in New York City, and yet we are spending tons and tons of money on unauthorized wars to fight 
quote unquote terrorism overseas and that's money that's not being spent here domestically to boost our own population and that's a problem it's a problem and there's a number of factors that contribute to that obviously you know a war makes a lot of money greed plays into it um, we also have people um, like you know Senator Ted Cruz and Donald Trump who use that rhetoric to get votes and pander up pandemonium amongst us so you know there's a number of factors what are the solutions I think Alyssa had brought up a, a good point earlier when she said that we don't really have an anti-war activism right now. I think that a lot of focus is on other things, other social and societal issues that need to be addressed. But I don't really feel like a buzz around like There's no fighting. Draft. I got, I got a, uh, that. Right. So, so I got a solution. But, but, it's called the draft. Yeah. Everybody has to register for it. Men, women, yeah. everybody. Because now if, mil- if women can serve in any branch in the military, then honestly, and this is an unpopular position. It really is. But you know what? When you have a draft, when everybody has to register for it, and when you start to say that the, every night on TV there's going to be a lottery, and a lottery ball is going to be coming up, and if your birthday matches that lottery number, guess what? Suit up and report. That's yeah. And it, it doesn't matter whether you're rich. It's it doesn't matter whether you're poor. Everybody's son and daughter may get sent overseas and may come home in a pine box. That changes the attitude. That's a big reason why Vietnam ended. Yeah, that's exactly why. Like there was so much, you know, pushback on it because people didn't want to go to war. That was like that's what it was. But you get rid of the draft now, and it's not as like scary local urgent anymore because like it's really people who want to go. You might lose your friend who goes, but it, it doesn't. It's not. not it's but not it's not just people who want to go. It's people who have no other options also. Very, you have a lot of true. poor people, and that's economically speaking, and that's that, that does have racial aspects of it, but it's really very much a class issue, which is a lot of low-income people from all over the country. They say, this is my opportunity to have a good job, that when I come home to be a veteran, to be able to hopefully get a job using the skills that I learned in the military or take advantage of the GI Bill. And then they come home, and then there's no benefits for them. Or they don't come home at all, or yep. they come home missing an arm, or a leg or whatever. So, oh, yeah, health. as unpopular as it is, I honestly believe we should reinstitute the draft I and everybody should have to. No, I, I, I don't. I mean, I get it. You're saying you, you should do that so that we can get a certain result. I don't. I also think that that's horrible. I mean, if you have to go to that extreme, yeah. that's, that's, that's I a think little that's too the extreme only for me. Way that that's we're an extreme solve solution. It. Yeah, I think that is a little too extreme for my liking. But, you know, it's like just my leg the, itches, so let me shoot it off. Right. So, you know, just in 30 seconds. So, you know, I'm going to ask you guys in 30 seconds and you can just wrap up and use final comments. Um, are you on board with this army captain um, in, in any aspect to any degree or not? He brings up a fair argument, but no, because this is not about actually looking for justice. This is about obstructing the president. He's probably funded by the Heritage Foundation or some conservative activist group. So, no. I think I would agree with your position on that. But I will say, at least just from a strictly constitutional law perspective, as somebody who practices constitutional law, I think he raises a a very novel issue of constitutional law. And I am interested to see how courts are going to rule. Um, And that puts aside my subjective feelings about fighting ISIS or not fighting ISIS and instead just looks objectively from a legal perspective and and, and in that respect I think it's very interesting and I would in some ways agree that you know he's raising a, a, a very interesting and uh, legitimate legal argument. No, I, and, I, and I would agree with that, that that he's raising an argument. Um, I, again, I, I agree with Stanley. I think it's just another point and another way to attack the president. But I do think that the larger issue here is war. And I appreciate that we're putting a spotlight back on war because at the end of the day, we like to classify things and we like to say things like boots on the ground, but it's 
in reality, it's lives being taken. And again, uh, most of the people that have to resort to going to the army or the military um, just to make a means as an adult are poor black and brown people or, or, or low um, or working class people in America. So it always puts us at that disadvantage. So I, I think that when it when it comes to war, like we. I think that, you know, the president is making um, good decisions. That's just my personal opinion. But I, I think that um, we need to just keep a humane perspective about it and make sure that we continue activism around this without a draft, <laughs> without a draft. Um, and I'm just going to end it right there. We do have to go on a quick break. But when we return, Alyssa is going to give us another quickie slash rant on the North Carolina bathroom laws. <laughs> 